Lesson 11 for March 7 to 13, Living by Faith. Sabbath, March 7. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we open your word again this week and we know we depend on your Holy Spirit to guide us. Enlighten our minds as we look at faith. We pray that your Holy Spirit will guide us and that our lives may be changed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory text this week is Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 25. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Let's read that again, Proverbs 29:25. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. So many voices call to us from so many directions. How do people know what is right and what is wrong? The answer is found in God and his written revelation. We must learn to rely on God and to obey his law. The rest then will follow by itself. Jesus told us this when he said, Seek first the kingdom of God, and then all that we need will be supplied. Matthew 6.33 We are to make trusting and following God our first priority. Otherwise, we will make something else that priority, which is idolatry, pure and simple. And we can learn to trust God only by living a life of faith. The Christian walk is just that, a walk. We have to make the choices to do the things that the Lord has told us to do, and then leave the consequences to Him. Sunday, March 8, Keeping the Law Out of the 13 occurrences of the word Torah, T-O-R-A-H, that is law or teaching, in the book of Proverbs, four are in Proverbs chapter 28, verses 4, 7 and 9, and we'll look at those a little later on. Although this use in Proverbs applies normally to the teaching of the wise man, as in Proverbs 13, 14, in the Israelite tradition, the word has a spiritual connotation and refers to divine revelation as attested in the book of Proverbs itself, in Proverbs 29 and verse 18, and that reads, Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. Question. Read Proverbs chapter 28 verses 4, 7 and 9. What do these verses tell us about the importance of the law in how we live? Verse 4 of Proverbs 28. Those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with them. And verse 7. Whoever keeps the law is a discerning son, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. And verse 9, one who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. What made the people of Israel different from other nations was not so much their way of thinking or even their spiritual and abstract theological views. It was their concrete choices in life about among other things, food, rest, the natural environment, and their relationships with neighbours and family that made them holy or set apart from 
all the other nations, and ideally those choices were to centre on the law and the principles around it. After all, we humans cannot be wise by ourselves. We can't always even distinguish between good and evil. As we read in First Kings chapter 3, verse 9, Therefore give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to judge this great people of yours? So we need the divine law to help us to acquire discernment. In other words, the acquisition of wisdom does not depend on intellectual or spiritual exercises. It is essentially related to obedience to a law that lies outside ourselves, our culture, our personal psychology and our desires. This law is, of course, God's eternal law. And to follow that law is indeed an act of faith. For as it says in Romans 1:16 and 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, The just shall live by faith. And so to finish today, what troubles and problems have you been spared because you have made a commitment by faith to keep God's law? How different would your life be were you not keeping it? Monday, March 9, Seek the Lord No matter how crucial it is to a life of faith, the law, the Torah, is not itself the source of life. On the contrary, the law points out sin, and sin leads to death, as we read in Romans 7, verses 7 to 13. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found to bring death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it killed me. Therefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was pronounced death in me through what is good. So that sin, through the commandment, might become exceedingly sinful. Instead, what makes the Torah effective is that it comes from God. Apart from God, the Torah would be a legalistic creed that has nothing to do with his original intention. A life of obedience to the law of God is related to a life with God. The Torah does not replace God. It is just a teacher that, according to Paul's analogy, leads the students to their master in Galatians 3.24. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, 
that we might be justified by faith. Question. Read Galatians chapter 3.24 in context. How does the law point us to Jesus so that we can indeed be justified by faith? Let's begin at verse 20 in Galatians chapter 3. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. The book of Proverbs is not just a book of wisdom. It is, first of all, a book about the God who has revealed wisdom. Seeking wisdom by obeying the law will draw us nearer to the Lord and to the salvation he freely offers us by faith in Jesus. Question. Read Proverbs chapter 28 verse 5. What is the key for us to understand all? Well, let's read verse 4 as well. Those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with them. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand all. The word understand is used twice in verse 5, just as the word law in verse 4. The two verses are related. Keeping the law, in verse 4, and seeking the Lord, in verse 5, belong together. The scope of this activity, however, is not just knowing and doing what is right, justice, as uh, it can be in verse 5. This understanding concerns all, simply because it derives from the God of all. For ancient Israel, knowledge of all things was not separated from religious experience. Faith was closely tied to intelligence and rational understanding. It was inconceivable to have faith without thinking or thinking without faith, because God was the foundation of both domains. So to finish today, why is faith in God a rational position to hold? Why is it more illogical and irrational to reject God than to believe in Him? Tuesday, March 10, Words for the Rich Question. Read 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. What are we being warned against here, and how can we protect ourselves from the danger these verses talk about? Well, let's begin at verse 15 of John, 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. 
Though the idea of what it means to be rich varies greatly, the book of Proverbs comes with some instructions on how to get rich and then how to deal with your riches once you get them. Number one, do not get rich at the expense of the poor. Proverbs chapter 28 verse 8. One who increases his possessions by usury and extortion gathers it for him who will pity the poor. Your wealth is not justified if you obtain it at the expense of the poor. As we've already seen, the Bible speaks very strongly against those who exploit the poor for their own gain. 2. Give to the poor. And that's found in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 27. He who gives to the poor will not lack, but he who hides his eyes will have many curses. In contrast to the greedy of Proverbs 28, verse 25, he who is of a proud heart stirs up strife, but he who trusts in the Lord will be prospered. The NIV literally says broad of soul or appetite. The person who is generous to the poor will be blessed. Number three, work hard. Proverbs 28, verse 19. He who tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows frivolity will have poverty enough. Wealth should not come as the result of stealing or by chance, but as a reward for our hard work. What is obtained depends on the quality of our labour. If we are rich, we should deserve it. Four, Question 4. Do not try to get rich fast. Proverbs 28, verse 20 and 22. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but he who hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. In verse 22, a man with an evil eye hastens after riches and does not consider that poverty will come upon him. Our Proverbs present two potential scenarios. One, When we close an eye to some dishonest action and as a result become complicit in that action, in verse 22. Two, when we are so eager to enjoy the wealth of our parents that we rob them of what they need to live now, verse 24. Whoever robs his father or his mother and says, it is no transgression, the same is companion to a destroyer. Even worse, those who do those things can justify the wrong deeds in their own minds until they convince themselves that they have done nothing wrong. Therefore, they say, it is no transgression. So to finish today, money is a very powerful force in this world, which is why the Bible talks a lot about it. If, like pretty much everyone else, you desire money, How can you make sure that you're not falling into the trap of what Jesus called the deceitfulness of riches? In Mark 4.19, And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Wednesday, March 11, Handbook for the Poor Question. Read Proverbs 29, verse 13. 
What is being discussed here? Proverbs 29 and verse 13. The poor man and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. The poor and the rich are equal, as we've just read. The image of light used in this proverb places this issue in perspective of creation. Both the rich and the poor have been created by God. Proverbs 22 verse 2 tells us that. They both enjoy the gift of life, and the sun shines upon both. Just as the rich have been warned about how they treat the poor, the poor are to love even their oppressors, which could in some cases be the rich, as we read in Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 and 45. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Question. What is the message of Proverbs 28, verse 3? A poor man who oppresses the poor is like a driving rain which leaves no food. The poor have the same duties as the rich. And we just read that there. Poverty should not be an excuse for iniquity. The fact that you may have been oppressed does not give you license to oppress others. Jesus' parable of the unforgiving servant who oppresses the one poorer than himself shows that this reaction, although unexpected in the part of the poor, who one might think would be more sympathetic to other poor people, is not unusual. Let's read about that in Matthew chapter 18, verses 22 to 35. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And, when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold, with his wife and children, and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, for I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So, when his fellow servants saw what he had done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry, and delivered him to the torturers, until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you, if each of you, from his heart, does not forgive his brother his trespasses. 
In Proverbs 28, verse 3, the image of the rain, which usually is a blessing, turns out to be a destructive torrent. This imagery illustrates the abnormality of that behaviour and the disappointment it brings. A poor man who oppresses the poor is like a driving rain which leaves no food. Question. What is the message of Proverbs 28 and verse 6? Better is the poor who walks in his integrity than one perverse in his ways, though he be rich. The righteous poor are better than the wicked rich, as we've just read in verse 6. According to traditional wisdom, the righteous person is not supposed to be poor, for poverty is supposedly the just punishment for the lazy, as we read in Proverbs 24, verse 34. So shall your poverty come like a prowler, and your need like an armed man. Yet the reality of life is more complex. The poor may be the victims of injustice or of circumstances beyond their control. This can often be the case. Nevertheless, the scale of values defended by the book of Proverbs is clear and unambiguous. Righteousness is more important than riches, and success is not a foolproof indicator of righteousness. So to finish today, what can we do when tempted to compromise our values for material gain? How can we protect ourselves from doing something like this, which is easier to do than we realise? Thursday, March 12, Loving the Truth Of all the things we could teach our children, our students, or anyone who is open to learning from us, perhaps the most important lesson can be found here in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, as Paul, who was writing about the lost, says in verse 10, they received not the love of the truth. Of course, because Jesus is the truth, Teaching others to love truth is teaching them to love Jesus. And what else really matters? As we read in Education, page 14, Whatever line of investigation we pursue, with a sincere purpose to arrive at truth, we are brought in touch with the unseen, mighty intelligence that is working in and through all. The mind of man is brought into communion with the mind of God, the finite with the infinite. The effect of such communion on body and mind and soul is beyond estimate. Question. Read Proverbs chapter 29 verse 15 and also 19. What important principle is seen here, not just in education, but in life in general? Proverbs 29 verse 15. The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. And verse 19, a servant will not be corrected by mere words, for though he understands, he will not respond. Though our example is important, especially with those whom we can't reprove or punish, in some cases more is needed. This is especially true with our children. At times, children need to be punished in order to be brought into line. 
Our natures are all fallen and corrupt, and this includes even those adorable little beings whom we love, our children. We don't do our children or ourselves any favours by letting them do whatever they want. Children, in fact, not only need discipline, they want it. They need to know that boundaries exist, and that they need to stay within them. A mother who believes that she has to respect her children's freedom and let them do whatever they want without ever saying no to them will ultimately bring shame, as it says in verse 15, to herself and no doubt sorrow to the children, if not now, then certainly when the children become adults. So, to finish today, what are some of the lessons you learned as a child that have stuck with you as an adult? How has that knowledge helped to make your life better now? Friday, March 13. From the book Sons and Daughters of God, page 267, the laws of God have their foundation in the most immutable rectitude and are so framed that they will promote the happiness of those who keep them. Religion brings man into personal relation with God, but not exclusively, for the principles of heaven are to be lived out that they may help and bless humanity. And from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 5, page 325 to 326, the utter neglect of training children for God has perpetuated evil and thrown into the ranks of the enemy many who with judicious care might have been co-laborers with Christ. False ideas and a foolish misdirected affection have nurtured traits which have made the children unlovely and unhappy, have embittered the lives of the parents, and have extended their baleful influence from generation to generation. Any child that is permitted to have his own way will dishonour God and bring his father and mother to shame. By neglecting their duty and indulging their children in wrong, parents close to them the gates of the city of God. And that brings us to our discussion questions for this week. Number one, Russian author Leo Tolstoy, though raised in a Christian home, abandoned his faith for many years. When older, he faced a crisis. What did life mean, especially a life that will certainly end in death? Though he sought answers in all areas of knowledge, he found none there. He eventually realised that the only logical answer to the question of life and its meaning had to be found in faith, in something that went beyond logic itself. That is, his logic told him to step beyond logic, into the world of faith, in order to get answers to the meaning of life. Why, then, is faith in Jesus really the most logical choice we can make regarding the meaning and purpose of life. And question two. What is your understanding of what it means to love the truth? How do we love the truth? To love truth, of course, would mean that we would have to know it first. How do we come to a knowledge of truth? And how can we be sure that we don't allow anything to stand in the way of our loving truth above all else?
Inside Story. Our mission story today is titled Kindness Always Comes Back. Miranda Starr, a principal and teacher at Parkersburg Academy in West Virginia, wanted to do an experiment with her first and second grade students. In Bible class, we were studying about kindness and how it is contagious, she says. We wanted to see if it really works. Then Miranda had an idea. Why not go to Eagle Point, a local nursing home, where the students could practice their reading skills and make friends with the residents? This was something I had always wanted to do, she admits. We like to sing, but I wondered what else could we do for them to make relationships. The idea was a hit, and by January the students were reading well enough to read on their own. We go to Eagle Point every other Friday, explains eight-year-old Ben. We sing to the whole group and we read to our parents. It wasn't hard to pick our partners, chimes in seven-year-old Reagan. We saw them, looked at their faces and then chose one because we liked them. The students also got to choose the book or books that they want to read to their partner and are welcome to exchange books with other students if they finish their own. As the students read, they are also developing friendships. My partner's name is Miss Jane, says six-year-old Sophia. I was reading about animal tracks and I read about a red fox. She told me that she once had a red fox as a pet. The residents clearly enjoy the visits and comment on what good readers the students are. I like seeing my partner smile, Ben adds. The students in grades three through to eight also participate. I really like going there, says nine-year-old Riley. There's one man I read to, Mark. He's always happy to see me and says, God bless you. I really like him and wish we could go more often. In appreciation of the students' visits, Eagle Point held a banquet in their honour and presented Miranda with an award plaque, Junior Volunteers of the Year, Parkersburg Academy. You've warmed the hearts of many by the caring that you show. Volunteers are shining stars. Reflecting on their kindness experiment, Miranda knows that it was a success. Kindness did come back. We tried to give them joy, but they gave more to us. Your reader for this week's lesson has been Dr. Percy Harold. This lesson is brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Remember, God is always faithful. <laughs>